0: all right welcome back this is the hit factor podcast uh coming at you for the first time this show is going to be sponsored by shooters connection uh we are really excited to be able to work with shooters connection uh that they were interested in sponsoring our show we have just like a big thanks big shout out to them uh it definitely Mm -hmm. is going to help us continue to produce more content and And hopefully we've got more and more content coming for you guys. Uh, So big thanks to them. Shooter's Connection has been around – I mean, I've been in the sport for, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years. And Shooter's Connection has been a place that, like, you almost always know that you can go buy buy whatever stuff you need. And that is definitely what they are today. Like, they they carry – like, if you need it for shooting, uh, like handgun competitions, especially the action pistol sports – They have it pretty much Um, from guns all the way to gun parts, magazines, uh, bags, uh, magazine pouches, magazines, like range supplies, like everything. Even they even carry uh, one of our favorite products. Uh, They even carry Hunter's HD gold uh, optics. So, so they're even carrying that, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, definitely a one-stop shop uh, for competitive stuff. Shooter's Connection sponsors over 100 matches a year. They got 80 years experience on staff. Um, They're doing next day shipping and uh, and they're sponsoring the podcast for us. So we appreciate it.
0: Yeah, so definitely there will be
1: a link in the description
0: as well as on our
1: discord. It'll be pinned if you want to go check it out there. If you can't find the description for some reason, but there will be a link there. If you want to support the podcast, support Shooter's Connection, please hit that link.
0: Yeah. So, and they will be like, like if you are gonna go to Shooters Connection, uh, like if you'll use our link, because then that will they will then kind of they're using that to track like, if this uh, yeah. if this gets any traffic, so use that link and that'll help us and help you at the same time. So, we uh, we we have done the like we this is like obviously this is our first like uh, sponsor for a show and. I get that like some people may be frustrated a little bit that we have, that we do have a sponsor <laughs> who's like, Oh, now they're just going to be corporate and they're going to, going to be shills and all that. And, oh, yeah. uh, like, no, we're not, Like <laughs> we're not just going to like, like, we're not just going to like be total shills. Uh, at least I don't think we are. Um, shooters connection is like a le- Like I'm happy that we're, that we're getting to work with them cause they're, they're great. Right, and they're great yeah. for our sport. Like they, they've done a lot for the sport. So, so I don't have any problem with that. Um,
1: yeah, it, I actually did get some, some other companies reaching out on another platform. There's a lot of different ways to like reach out and try to find show sponsors for podcasts, but actually trying to find one that's industry specific is pretty challenging unless you do it like individually, you know, reach out to them individually. Yeah. So, Thankfully, we had some some industry reach out to us and want to go on the show because there was one that was like, oh, what was it? One was for like an athletic greens supplement, um, which like I'm not opposed to. Like I've used those supplements; they're just fine. Um, but I was really like, eh, I mean, I guess I would do that, but it's not really. I'd like some industry specific. That would be really nice to to break the water with something like that, you know.
0: I mean, if we could get a bourbon sponsor, I'd be pretty cool with that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like, that'd be pretty cool I mean like we we talk I feel like we talk about it enough that like we should be able to get one right but i'll I'll work on that, I'll see what I can see what I can come up with,
1: yeah, you're gonna reach out to some distilleries, yeah, for sure
0: i'm sure I'm sure they'd want to speaking of <laughs> uh. Well, first of all, like obviously we it is it's a little bit smaller crew and I mean that in a number sense, but also we're just smaller people than than Sasquatch. Uh and so (laughs) we are we're a little bit smaller crew. So it's just Jeff and I tonight. Uh we will be because we're talking about nineteen elevens, uh that's gonna be our main main topic Mm, and Sasquatch. Yeah. God's gun, God's caliber, all of that good stuff. Two world wars. (laughs) anything you think of it is it is that and uh sasquatch is gonna be gone so this was a good good time to do that but so since we are talking about 1911s like it was important like jeff's drink of choice tonight it was important Mm -hmm. that he got an appropriate one so i'm curious what he came up with
1: yeah oh i'm drinking the the penelope that we got in missouri because it's like it's probably the harshest bourbon that i have on deck (laughs) And I felt like I needed something gritty for this one. Yeah. For this episode. So, and it's it's a pretty heavy pour for me. Look at that.
0: Look at that.
1: Yeah. We're going to be doing a lot of show and tell on this one. So, uh, if you can watch it on YouTube, I would recommend it.
0: Yeah, for sure. For our, our audio listeners, um, I will do everything I can to describe stuff, but I will be showing like, like a, I will be showing stuff. Uh, I yeah. and tonight. I like to show the bottle. Uh, this yeah. is Jack Daniel Coy Hill, and if y'all look at that number right there, uh, it's 139.1 proof. So this one's a oh, dang. this one's a stout. This is their this is Jack Daniel's does a like a special release every year, and this was this year's special release. So fairly hard to get um, bottle. I just happen to get lucky and walk into a store right when they yeah. right when they got it. Um, Jack Daniels isn't, isn't normally my favorite, but I'll, their special release stuff, I'll, I'll kind of pick up and it's 139 right. proof. It's all there. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's uh, it's pretty stout. Uh, so we all also right. had a, another request, uh, from, from a kind of a newish listener that like, he was like, Hey, I love the podcast. Uh, but like, if you guys could kind of introduce yourselves a little bit again, like who you are. And it's like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. Like if you haven't been with us from the beginning and you missed like the one episode where we said who we were and you haven't followed our careers closely, I don't understand why you haven't followed our careers and our shooting careers to know who we are really closely. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? (laughs) But, uh, so, so Jeff, who are you? Uh,
1: Man, that's so awkward talking about yourself. <laughs> it is in in this way, right? I mean, I guess the whole podcast is us talking about ourselves, but
0: usually uh, fairly self-deprecating. Cothin.
1: Yeah, I'm Jeff Cothin. I live in Oklahoma. Been shooting USPSA since 2016, 2017 ish. Uh, single stack GM production M, um, and I, my claim to fame, here's my claim to fame. I have never finished out of the top 16 at nationals. Mm. That's my claim claim to fame there.
0: How many nationals is that?
1: Um, well, I've been to three, three years I've been so, and then I've been to four nationals cause I went to L 10. Yeah. L 10. So yeah. So single stack, and then the second time was single stack and L ten back to back, and the third time was production. So,
0: I really thought you were going to say your claim to fame was when you beat me. That's what I was. Oh before. yeah, I was like that yeah. Was, yeah. And
1: I shit stomp Jeremy Reed. <laughs>
0: That's a, uh, no, Jeff's real claim to fame is that he was third place in back to back nationals in 2020 at the single stack, and then L ten. Yeah right after that he was third yeah, place in both yeah. of them and uh i shot with him for single stack he were on different squads for l10 and uh he i mean he was he had a chance to win the match and he last day he blew stack, up on a, yeah yeah he blew up on a stage l10 i, I just don't know where he, he didn't really know where he was yeah in the match i, I was shooting
1: with a, a different group um uh, but yeah single stack i mean i was i think three percent ish off of the leader, something like yeah. that. I because Rob won. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was like three percent between me and me and Rob, something like that.
0: That's daggone close. Yeah.
1: So, who is Reed Pistolsmithing?
0: Uh, so my claim to fame would not be my shooting at all. Uh, <laughs> it would, uh, it would be, uh, probably my. The guns that I build, I I build 1911s for a living. That's what I do. I build custom guns. Um, I don't really build a lot of like USPSA specific guns, other than my own. Like my guns are mostly geared more towards carry carry type stuff. Uh, most of my customers are. I mean, I definitely do have customers. These are these are not cheap guns. They're expensive, um, and and I I fully acknowledge that they are expensive. Uh, that they they are a lot of money. Um, they also put, there's a lot of time in, in them. Uh, you can, my Instagram kind of, sh, I, sh, I probably don't do a great job showing it, but I show some of the, some of the work that goes into it. Um, some of the guns don't get shot a lot and that's, I mean, it's a shame, like they're built to, to be shot and run, but, but some of them, yeah. they, they, they're collectors. Some people collect them. Some people shoot them and put them in a holster and carry them every day. And some people, uh, keep them nice and neat and clean and, and don't shoot them a lot. Um, So not a, not a ton of carry gun, not a ton of, of competition specific guns. Although some, some of them are, um, I definitely, I build all of my, I built, I have built every gun I've shot in competition, except for one production nationals that I shot when it was a standalone in Tulsa a long Mm -hmm. time ago. Um, so, so that's what I do. Uh, and then I shoot, I've been shooting USPSA, I don't ten, eleven years. What is it? Is twenty twenty? I would guess I'm at like eleven this is probably year eleven for me. And uh GM single stack limited. I don't really care about that, but um yeah. my claim to fame. Uh I was on the world shoot team for the twenty seventeen World Shoot. And we as a team we won gold. I was I was sixth place at that match. Um, Phil Strader beat me by like a point, I think, uh, out of a, a five day match. He beat me by a point. Oh and man! That, I literally my last shot of the match was a delta on a swinger, and I knew it was a delta. And I thought about making it up, and the math the math was dry. Even adding extra time to make it up, even if I had shot a Charlie as a makeup, I would have. Uh, I would have been fifth, which, oh my goodness. That's, yeah, that's probably my claim to <laughs> fame is, is, is the world shoot and, uh, yeah. winning, winning gold there. I qualified for the last world shoot, but it hasn't really happened yet. And I'm not with all the mess with everything code and all that. I'm not going to it. Um, yeah. So I shoot a lot or have shot a lot in my, in my career. I shoot probably more rounds than most people do, uh, in this sport. Um, when, in, mm-hmm. in, in the heyday when they could get components and stuff, it was, I mean, 50, probably that world shoot year, I was probably 60 to 70. I don't know if I counted that year. Um, 60 to 70,000 rounds that year. Um, a lot of other years been in the, the 40, 50 range, 50,000 range. Uh, that's, that's a lot of rounds. Um,
1: did you spread that out on different guns?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, yes, but like. I mean, at that point, like basically, I was building myself a gun a year, because um, mm. hundred thousand rounds on a gun, and it's pretty. It gets pretty tired. Like you're you're talking yeah. replace. Like slides are gonna be, gonna be, probably needing to be replaced most likely. Like you're most likely starting to see cracks, especially shooting major. Um, at that point, so yeah, it's it's not all been. I don't. I have one gun that's over like 110,000 now, but it's not the original slide. Gotcha. Um, so we'll, t- we can talk about, th- we'll talk about those, those more, but. Yeah. um.
1: And Jared is not here to introduce himself, but Jared is a Sasquatch. He looks like a Sasquatch. He acts like a Sasquatch. He shoots for CZ. He works at CZ. He is a CZ fanboy. He's a good shooter, top 16, uh, top 10, shoots production, shoots CO, used to shoot limited, used to shoot single stack. Started shooting about the same time I did, 2017, I think. Uh, what else? What else about Jared?
0: Um, don't get in a drinking contest with him?
1: Yeah, don't get in a drinking contest or like a – hand squeezing contest or, yeah. or anything like that um his his fingers are roughly the the size of bananas <laughs> that's true um yeah
0: we'll let we'll let yeah. sasquatch introduce himself on the next one and see uh how much different mm-hmm. it is from what we've said yeah i mean i feel like that was pretty spot on yeah i think it's i think it's accurate quite accurate yeah uh Jeff, if you had to describe your shooting style, how would you describe it? Shooting style? Um, Slow? Uh,
1: Probably like like more precise than sporadic. Like should I compare myself to someone? You can. I don't know if I can. I look a lot goofier than everybody I know. When I shoot, dude, I don't know, uh, shooting style. Yeah. I mean, it's slow. I can't freaking pull the trigger fast at all. Uh, I shoot slow. I do everything slow, honestly, but fast enough, I guess.
0: Yeah. Jeff, Jeff is hard to beat because Jeff normally doesn't hang himself. Like normally, like he goes up and he hits what he's, what he's shooting at, uh, and if you do that, like you tend to be a lot more efficient than guys that go up and take two or three shots at every other piece of steel and mm-hmm. uh, are missing missing targets it, and stuff like that. It,
1: it took me a couple of years to get there. I would say probably 2019 was probably the last year that I sabotaged myself at almost every match I shot. Yeah, I would shoot a pretty good match, and then just one stage, I would just sabotage the whole match. Yeah. Uh, so that was probably the last time I figured out that I needed to stop doing that it was 2019. So, uh, 20, 2020 is year had a good year. And, yeah. uh, yeah, that, that's probably me. How would you describe
0: yours yourself? Um, it's, it's so hard to do, right? Like I put you on the, I put you on the spot to like do that. And yeah. Uh, I think at I think at this point, like I sh- like if you watch like just my shooting. Generally, I shoot as fast as most people. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not always the most efficient shooter, uh, position to position, and like that's like that's something that I I try to work on. Like I, but I I need yeah. to I need to shoot sooner. Um. So I mean, typically, I mean, typically in the past, like if you just looked at my whole career. Uh, typically have been accurate enough and not fast enough. Really? Um, that has kind of in the last couple of years, cause I, I once I kind of recognized that I had a bit of a philosophy change a couple of years ago that we've, we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Uh, yeah. and I've been faster. I've, I've just forced myself to be faster, but yeah. that is also kind of brought back then. Usually, like usually, if I'm giving up time, it's usually because because I am like makeups on steel. It's it's stuff like that. That's usually yeah. where where I get in trouble. Uh, if I have a match where I don't do that, then usually my times are fairly fairly solid. Um, we're not talking we're not talking Nils Nils or Mason speed here or Jacob speed, but not many people are in that realm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, you have a very, uh, you have a very interesting shooting posture. Yeah, I, I've actually heard other people comment on,
0: like when you're shooting, they'll be like,
1: "He shoots really interesting."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I don't like watching videos of myself because I don't I don't like how I move. I don't like how I run. Like whenever I run, like I like mm-hmm. it's kind of hunched. It's a little bit hunched over.
1: Yeah, and it's so weird. Like when the gun's going off and you're shooting it. It almost looks like you're like throwing the bullets, like with the gun. Yeah, like that's what that's what your recoil management looks like. It looks yeah. like, like the guns, and then you like are throwing the other bullets. And that's
0: it's, like that's it's a, strange. It's a big problem, like that. Like that's something that I'm like that. That is something that I'm like trying to like I'm fixing. Like is is getting right. fixed and is getting better this year. Like the last couple, two or three years, like it's been really problematic. Um, right. and that's just, yeah. Trying to control that, try to control that recoil. Like it's, it's not a conscious, it's not a conscious thing at all. Um, right. but trying to control that recoil and then you end up moving the gun and yeah, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not ideal. Um, honestly, like I haven't talked about this. Like some of that is, I think actually born out of how much I did shoot. Uh, and, oh, and yeah. it, I mean, I, I do, like, I do think there's, there's somewhat like it, it wasn't, I don't want to shooting when
1: you're fatigued or something.
0: Maybe, but uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, possibly, uh, but just more of just like, like when you, the more you do something, the more a bad habit can creep in. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like it's like, like you can get bad habits, but like you can just get rusty and you're not used to the gun if you don't shoot at all. But if you shoot all the time and you have like something that your body just naturally, doesn't do like correctly, like, well, the more you do that, the more that gets ingrained. Right. And so, yeah, you, even if you're trying to be conscious about it, uh, like sometimes, like sometimes stuff just creeps in, like into your shooting, like, and, mm-hmm. and like, you, it's like, a, like you get to a point, like you're trying to, you're trying to not let it, but then it, it just does. And at least that, that I think that, I think that could have been a little bit of what I'd, have dealt with, but I'm trying to get, trying to get past some of that.
1: Yeah. I hear you. All right. So we got to get started on this main topic of, of tonight. We do be a long podcast. If we don't, it's probably going to be long anyway. Uh, Okay. So the, the topic of tonight is 1911s. We had a request to talk about the 1911s that Jeremy and I have shot or do shoot Uh, I'm currently shooting production division, but for my first four, three, three to four years, I shot single stack exclusively, and so now I shoot production, but Jeremy shoots single stack limited. Um, So somebody wants us to talk about our single stacks. Uh, That's something that uh, we have a fair bit of experience in, and Jeremy is a single stack 1911-2011 smith. Uh, of yep. the smith guild so we're gonna I'm talk not about actually
0: them. in the guild that's
1: they're totally not allowed topic. to say they're in the guild it, that's that's you know, rule number one of the guild is you can't talk about the guild
0: no there is an american pistol smithing guild i have zero interest in being involved can't talk with about that the
1: guild all right so we're gonna be showing guns talking about parts talking about everything
0: let's do it you want to go first uh yeah um So first up, I shouldn't hit my mic. Uh, People can't see this, but this is, this is actually my baby. Uh, If you're on the, if you're on the YouTube, you can see it. Uh, This, this was the gun that basically started it all for me. Like it started my shooting career uh, and started my pistol smithing career. This was my class gun that I built when I went to Bob Rogers, roll your own pistol smithing class. And so this was the gun that I first gun I built in that class And then it's the gun that I've shot. Like it has tons, so much wear on it. This slide actually is the second slide on it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I decided to retire this gun a few years ago um, because it was like this gun is like so special to me. Like just because it is the first, it's like I don't want to like totally wear it out. Um, So then it basically got relegated to carry duty. And I was, I carry, this was my carry gun for a long time. Like when I was, when I was first, like first into it, like this was my carry gun and my match gun and everything. Like I took it, like when I left the range and I could, I just put it on a inside the waistband holster on my hip. And then obviously before you got to the range, like you, you, you know, it was unloaded before you got to the range, but and then I just shot with it. And the only thing I did was I put I would put a Magwell on it. And uh, actually at the first time it, uh, when I first started I had an SNA Magwell. Um, and the Magwells you know it's does not like super beat up. But I had like an SNA Magwell. And that's what I competed with for a couple of years because when I first started this sport really for me it was I wanted to get really good with my carry gun. Like I wanted to be as proficient as possible with that and I'm still competitive so I was still trying to do as well as possible but I was like it was like a four and a half pound trigger, um, SNA Magwell at best and like nothing, nothing fancy. Like I ran a 16 pound recoil spring, a 23 pound string, like factory type stuff. Um, and like, it's not a fancy gun. Like it's other than yeah. like, it's just a, it's just a plain Jane 1911. And so that was the gun. That was the gun that started it all for me. Uh, yeah. and, and it was a 45. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, and that progressed. Uh, I shot 45s for a while and eventually like I wanted a nine cause I, in IPSC, a nine makes a lot more sense often than, uh, it does in USPSA a lot of times. And so yeah. I, uh, so I built, I built a couple of nine millimeters. What those I built on were. Again, I'll try to explain it for the audio guys this is a Springfield RO operator and uh, so I, I built the gun on that and I don't have any grips on it but,
1: yeah. um, but Yours, this- Jeremy's guns and mine are gonna be so different because Jeremy's like every part that goes into his gun is like is fit and custom and <laughs> and beautiful <Yeah. laughs> and my gun is like built with
0: with uh like hacksaw drop ins, so yeah, it's,
1: uh, it's gonna be an interesting comparison.
0: <laughs> it it is. So like so this gun, um like like I say that it's a Springfield RO operator. Like that was the base part, um like the base like frame and slide, and all most other parts were replaced on it. I think this actually was the original rear sight that I just machined and chopped on a little bit. Uh, But this gun, it's kind of hard with the lighting. Like this gun is actually just clear coated um, because this was for a while I offered a match grade gun. And basically I didn't do anything to make the gun pretty. I just wanted it to I just did everything that I needed to for it to function. And um, and so that's like this factory mainspring housing on it. And and whenever I st- I went to these guns, I went to the that's when I went to the Techwell uh, grips and Techwell Magwell, which I run the TGO IPSC Magwell. They make a bigger one, um, but since I was competing in IPS, I was like trying to get on the world shoot team and competing in that. I did not want to get used to a bigger Magwell because IPSC IPSC allows a quite a bit smaller Magwell than USPSA will allow. And so I didn't want to get used to a big one and then have a a hard time transitioning. I was like, I'll just go to Ipsic all the time. And so that's, I actually still do that. Like I still, I could run a bigger magwell than I do currently, but I just run an Ipsic magwell. And I like the, I like the TGO. The difference in the TGO magwell, uh, as the, is the, the front end here, this is, this would go on the front of the gun. Uh, It's open. And what that, the reason for that is if you have a mag that is stuck, you can come in here with your, like you can come grab a mag like off of the front and you can still strip that mag out. Um, Uh, they make one that wraps all the way around the front, which does make it makes reloads a little bit nicer. Um, but then if you get a stuck mag, like you have to kind of reach up there and it's just harder to strip one out and, and stuck mags are like, they're a thing. Um, Oftentimes, it's not the mag that's stuck. It's a round that's kind of pulled partially forward, and so then it just yeah. doesn't drop free when you need it to drop free. Um, or
1: in, in 1911s particularly, I think, like, if some debris gets up in there on, like, the side of your magazine, like, mm-hmm. those magazines fit pretty tight in the gun. Yeah. Uh, so anything up there can can wedge it in there pretty good. I haven't had that experience with any other guns. Uh, so to me, it's it's kind of specific to the 1911s. But. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. They, they definitely can be uh, pretty tough, pretty tough there. Um, and then currently my current main, main gun, this is probably my favorite gun right now. Uh, this is actually my practice gun. Uh, I, a couple years ago, I decided to go to 40 major for um, single stack that way. Cause I was, at that time I was shooting nine, I was shooting minor, I was shooting limited 40 and I was shooting 45 major in single stack. And I was like, that's, I don't want to load three calibers. I don't want to keep up just different brass, large primers, small primers. Like I don't want to do that. So I decided, and it was time, it was time to build a new gun pretty much for my single stack. And so I was like, I'll just go 40. And so that's what I did. This, this one is, it's not as gamer as you can get in single stack. Cause it doesn't have like the, the weird bull barrel that they allow now. And now that they added two ounces, this, this comes in under 43, which was the old weight limit. And now it's 45. So I could add some weight, but I just, I haven't, this is a gym JEM frame. And so it's got the heavy dust cover with no, there's, it's not, not a Picatinny rail, it's just a heavy dust cover. And so fairly heavy gun, um, tri top slide, uh, I like the caulking strations to wrap around on top because I whenever I cock the gun, like I grab it from the from the top like that. Uh, again, I have the TGO Ipsic Magwell. You can see this one's this one's got some good wear on it. Yeah. It's, it's almost it's gotten gone. beat up. Looks
1: like you freaking ate that thing
0: up. This one's this one's I have one that's a lot worse than this one. Um Jeez this one still this one still has lots of life with again the tgo uh, magwell the ipsic these are the ipsic i really like these grips they're ipsic Positech. if you look at it from the back like they're they're really fat uh they're yeah. really which i really like but they're narrow up here at the top so like reaching the trigger or reaching the uh reaching the mag release um is not a problem with them if you have any kind of normal sized hand if you're smaller hands you may you may struggle with that um, so this, I mean, this one, this gun shoots really flat. Uh, I do have a full-length guide rod on this one, whereas my original gun was uh, just a traditional. Uh, see, it's it's heavy spring. Uh, this traditional short guide rod, uh, and so yeah, so I really like this gun. Um, speaking of Shooters Connection, they actually do carry all of the Techwell products, as far as I know. And so they have the TGO magwells, they have the Posi-Tech grips, and and all the other techwell. Techwell is really cool because it snap. It it just it doesn't actually. It just these little tabs here uh, that you can see, like the grip holds on to those. So just you yeah. screw the grip on, and that and that holds the the magwell in place. So if you do need to change, if you need to put something bigger or smaller on it. That can do that really well, and so I'm I'm a big fan of the Techwell products, and um, and Bob Novak, the guy that that started all that and did all that, is a is a really cool guy too. I really like Bob. Um, so, Tho- these are so the guns. What about
1: we- uh, what about your your parts? Like, what parts do you start with?
0: Uh, like, do you want me to go through the whole gun?
1: I mean you might as well i mean make it not don't take all
0: day but okay i mean you might as well um okay so what i have... i use i use cart barrels almost exclusively uh in my guns i so even in my limited guns i use bushing barrels because i just, i use cart barrels cart doesn't make a they don't actually make a bull barrel um carts have always they're they're really tough barrels like they they're just really tough like they will handle a lot of abuse and they're accurate and I'm just really used to them. So I use cart barrels. Um, uh, I do use EGW, um, their hammer sear disconnectors on all um, my, this is the, um, it's EGWs. I'm, I'm going to, I should just have the name off the top of my head, but uh, I can't remember what they call it, but it's EGWs. They don't, they have very, very, they don't really that's the only one that they make basically uh their hammer and sear kit uh works really well um they're not drop in like uh anybody that says like there's a drop in like i just dropped in a hammer and sear in my 1911 um okay like it's not fit properly uh like like you can do that um but like like if you drive, if you just drop it in, it's like, Oh, this is a great trigger. There's a really good chance. You're actually only picking up one hammer hook. Uh, so like the sear's is only riding on one. And so it feels great. It feels crisp. And at some point that other, that other hook's going to come in contact and all of a sudden your trigger is going to get either heavier or have a lot more creep or a lot grittier or like, so that's going to get real, that could get tricky. Um, I am, I am fairly, uh, conservative on my 1911 builds. Like as far as like springs, like i like if I'm shooting major, like I'm, I'm running like a 14, 16 pound recoil spring and somewhere around like a 19 pound mainspring, um, not yeah. super light. Uh, like if I'm going nine millimeter. Yeah. in that 11, 12 recoil spring, 17 pound mainspring, something like that. Um, I, you see lots of guys that like they do kind of some crazy stuff and they, they do some really light stuff. I just, I, I don't, um, like there's, and there's, there's reasons for that. Um, and people do it for shooting characteristics, but, uh, I think you're, you're kind of, I don't think it's, I don't think it's all that important. Um, trigger this, I have an SV trigger in it, uh, it's, it is nice from the standpoint that like the, it's, it's an insert. And so you can, you can go short, long, if you want flat, if you want curved, uh, you want just a top curve or whatever you want. That's, it sounds neater than it is. Cause almost every gun that I've ever built, like I put a trigger in it and then just whatever I put in it to start is like what stays in it. <laughs> yeah. So like, if you kind of know I need a medium length trigger, then you just fit that. And so these have an SV trigger, but. I don't use those. I don't use those real often. Um, I don't use a. It's it's an extended, but it's not like a. It doesn't have like a, a paddle on my mag release. This one is yeah. a. I can't tell because I actually did some work to it. It's either a Nalon or a Wilson. The Wilson and Nalons are both good. They both have one that's extended. They're forty thousands longer than like a traditional, and for me that's that's long enough. Uh, my favorite slide stop is a 10 8 slide stop because it's it's a nice big paddle that's easy to hit up or down. And I actually really like that product. Um so on on my personal guns, I often use a 10-8. Uh I like brown has a new thumb safety. It's a machined part. It's better than their older parts by a lot, but it's a big paddle. Uh it's it's long, it's a lot longer paddle than than most. And so I leave most of the paddle on. I kind of shave it off at the at the back a little bit, but on my guns I leave most of it on. I use fixed sights. I'm not a believer in adjustable sights. Um I've never used adjustable sights. I've always just used fixed sights. I don't feel like that has ever burned me one time. Actually I did have I I did have a rear sight break in half. Um Please. so like that that sometimes can't ha- like that can happen. Uh, that was a, a little fixed, bit. It was
1: a fixed site that broke in half.
0: Yeah. It, so you've had you have a big stress point on that dovetail. Uh, I need a point. I need a pointer. But on the dovetail right here, like you have a stress riser right there because that is such a sharp corner, and so like it, like that is a place where a tr- a crack can form. Um, but I've had it happen once, and I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of rounds. I mean, it probably three or 400,000 rounds at least. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: that's better luck than I've had with sites. So
0: yeah. Uh, Front site. I, I am a big fiber guy, but I make them myself. So uh, the video guys can see like most fiber sites are like the fiber is exposed all the way across here. And so mine, I simply cut a slot in the top and that's the only place it gets sunlight. So uh, it's really nice because you get a, a fiber that shows up, but it doesn't like glow it like, it's, it's not like super bright. Uh, it doesn't, you oh, can yeah. still see the, you can still see the black of the front side around that. Um, cause I used to shoot nothing but all black front sights, Um, but that was a good, that was a good compromise. It also protects the fiber. So the fiber doesn't break real often. Um, let's see anything else on the gun that you're like parts wise.
1: Uh,
0: a grip safety do you pin it or anything i i run active grip safeties on all my guns um that's that's kind of goes back to my roots of what i talked about earlier that like my shooting stemmed from shooting carry guns uh like like and like and that's and so i i would not pin a safety on a carry gun. Like I think you're opening yourself up to some liability issues. uh, If you deactivate any sort of safety on a gun that you're going to carry. And so I just, all of my grip safeties are active and that's, it's really not an issue. Like if I get a really, really funky grip, then like it will not, but it's probably like the grip is so bad that I'm going to shoot so terribly. I probably should just stop, take the second and fix my grip rather than try to shoot a whole stage. Um yeah. otherwise there's no issue for me in deactivating. They're they're pretty sensitive, like they don't take a lot to deactivate. Uh um, yeah. but that's some people have weird hands, like I do understand. Some people have really weird hands and they really struggle to deactivate grip safeties. Um I've I've yep. built up pads before pretty big before for people for stuff like that, but yeah, yep. My guns are pretty straightforward I I think after after talking about all of it for now. But my yeah. guns are pretty straightforward.
1: Um, do those guns have your trigger guard undercut on them?
0: Yeah, that's a big like that's a big thing for me. Um is my my undercut on my trigger guard is kind of unique. Uh there's not a lot of people in the industry um that do that. Like it, it's cut pretty high, and all my guns have it. That's there's that one. Uh here's this one. This was my first one. So like this is this is literally my first gun. So like you can see like that undercut has has been there. From the from the yeah. get go, on this, uh, my other one looks looks the exact same. Um, like if you pick up like a factory, to me like that would be like one of the first modifications I would do to a gun. Like if you pick up like a factory like Springfield or Colt, like and like just grab it, like it forces yeah. your your fingers so far down on that on that frame that it's like how does anybody shoot this? Um, so I I cut it as high <laughs> as I possibly can and uh like it's really it's actually weird for me to pick up a 1911 that doesn't have that yeah so yeah, yeah that that's actually a, i think a a good question
1: um see so yeah, i want you to talk about one more thing while i go grab another gun okay um talk about your your cuts that you have on your like mainspring housing in front of strap.
0: oh uh, okay so um I, I mean this is something i offer like i offer two different options um one would be a checkering this is actually that's factory casting i shouldn't use that this is a this is i do a lot of 25 lpi checkering which is a really nice like that's a really nice lpi uh i do that almost on all of them the problem with checkering is it can get it's gonna be tough to see this uh but it can get dinged up really easily. like a gun that's gonna get used a lot it can just get beat up quite a lot and so So I was like, what is a good fix for that? Um, Well, I'm not going to say like, I'm not going to claim any originality on, on anything on 9.7, but I have this pattern here, uh, which somebody dubbed it ego pattern. I really don't like the name ego pattern, but it's, that's just what it's been called. Some people may call it a frag pattern, Um, but like it's, it's very, like it's very robust. Like it it is, its Uh, it's really just really wide space checkering with a slightly different cutter. Um, but it's very robust. Like it, it, you can't beat it up. Um, but it's, I like it because if you grip the gun hard, it bites into your hand. But if you're, Mm -hmm. if you're not grabbing it, like if you're grabbing it loosely, your hand can move to me. And that's one of the most important things. That's a really important thing on a gun. Because if you, if you have something that's so tacky on the grip that it just really grabs your hands. Then wherever you grab the gun, your hand is stuck there, and so like yeah. if you miss your grip at all, you're kind of hosed for the rest of that stage. And so I I want to I really like this ego pattern because it allows me to to move my hand if I need to, but whenever I do grip hard, like it it adds plenty of traction. Um, and so that's that's it's kind of one of the cool benefits of a 1911s that you can do all of that to a steel frame and do whatever you want.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're a master gunsmith,
0: well, you could pay me to do, I mean, somebody could send it to me and pay me to do it.
1: Right. Yeah. So if, if you know me, you're like sitting there wondering like, how did Jeff even afford to shoot 1911s? How did he even, how did he even bring himself to do it? Um, so let me take you through this this journey are you, are you done jeremy
0: yeah yeah i think that we have a question about kind of some like reliability stuff so we we'll kind of get into some other stuff after yeah that, we'll get but... into that
1: afterwards i also have three guns to talk about my, my journey okay so first one first it's in pieces so i'm just going to pull <laughs> it out and so this one right here it's it's blacked out this is actually a rock Island. And this was the first gun that I purchased specifically for USPSA rock Island, nine millimeter. It's got a 10 to eight, uh, flat, flat trigger in it. This is dura coated. I completely took it apart and like almost gave it a melt job. Like I hit every (laughs) edge on this gun with a file. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I worked it over. And then I shot it a whole bunch. And you can see, I did an undercut as well. Mm. Except I am not a master gunsmith. So it is not straight, nor is it smooth. But it is functional. It does get the finger up higher. Um, So yeah, that was my... Oh, it's so smooth. God dang. Yeah, anyway, that was my, my first 1911 9mm Rock Island. Adjustable sights. Dawson fiber optic front. Uh, I ran, I think I ran a, an SNA on this gun, mm-hmm. I think, uh, Probably. yeah, I believe. And then it has an extended, uh, Dawson mag release. It's just a flat, flat front. It doesn't have a, it doesn't have a place for a button or anything. Uh, and then all the other parts were original to the gun. The, uh, the slide stop the safeties, I probably used a couple of different, like, firing pin stops on this gun because I was into that, just trying different stuff.
0: Um, Trying to manage that heavy recoil. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, Yeah, and I think I ran, like, a nine-pound recoil spring in this thing. Oh, jeez. Yeah, a nine or ten, something like that. So, that was my first venture into the 1911 world, the Rock Island. This gun was actually badass, like... It uh, it ran good. I I only awesome. abandoned it. I only abandoned it to shoot major, like it yeah. wasn't a problem with the gun. So that was the first one. So after that, I did really well with that gun uh, and impressed a few local people. So a local guy offered to build me a gun because he was you know so impressed with how awesome I was, and I do really appreciate that. But um. So that was Firearm Solutions out of Duncan, Oklahoma. They're no longer a shop. Uh, They closed up and they do something else with their facility now. They're like an event center. So they're (laughs) no longer in the firearms industry, but they built me this gun. Uh, And we're empty here. Um, So this is the gun that Firearm Solution built for me. You can see, or you probably can't see, but Serial number FAS Firearm Solution, uh, 2017 uh, serial number two. This was like the second custom gun that their shop ever put out. Um, so it's a it's a Caspian frame and slide, uh, adjustable rear sight. They had a different sight on the front. I put a Dawson on it. Uh, I think Extreme Engineering uh, ignition parts. Uh, uh that's and-
0: the cane hammer.
1: Yeah, but it, extreme engineering makes one that looks like that. I think um but yeah. And then I don't know what the the safeties are on this gun, but I just tried to Yeah, I mean it's it's double-sided safeties. Uh amby safeties. Uh, oh yeah,
0: so I run I run single-sided safeties. I do not run an ambi on any oh, of my really? guns. Oh really? I run single-sided safeties.
1: And, and this gun had front strap checkering on it. Uh, I changed out the the mainspring to a curved. I always run curved or arched. arched. Yeah. Uh, mainspring housing, just because of the way it fills out my palm. And I am one of those people that has a weird grip, I guess. So uh, grip safeties always give me grief. So both these guns are pinned. This one was pinned by them after the fact. I went to him and I was like, "Hey, pin this for me." So they drilled it and put a pin in it. Um, that's it. Uh, it has this trigger is like a, I don't know, dude. I found it on eBay. This is it's about to get weird because I put the next gun together. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is like some sort of K something, K pattern. It's a flat face. And it's it has the, the pre travel screw and then it also has the, the wings or flaps in there so you can adjust how far it comes out.
0: So that's an over travel screw and then be pre travel tabs.
1: There you go. Yeah. I'm glad you're here, Jeremy. <laughs> um and uh so this gun actually I think I put five or six sights on this gun, the adjustable sights. Yeah. Uh, it was usually like two a year, two or three a year, and they would just break. Yeah. Something about this gun because I didn't break any on the other the next gun. Uh, but this gun, I mean, they would just they would fracture up here towards the front of the the sight there, and then I would just get really nervous and I couldn't think about anything until I replaced it. <laughs> uh, I never had one come apart, honestly. Yeah. But they would break, and it would start separating right there. And I just figured it was a matter of time until it came flying off. So uh, as soon as I saw it starting to break, I would put a new one on. And this gun is now cracked. The slide is cracked. So I stopped shooting it. Last match I shot this at was Area 3 two years ago where I beat Jeremy.
0: He he kind of cheated to beat me if... Uh... <laughs> If we're being that's honest. It.
1: That's it. And this gun, I think, is forty one ounces. So it's is well under the, the limit. Yeah, it does light. have an ex, it does have an extended uh magazine drop there. Mag button. Has an extended with the I think it's erodon erdondo. Is that how you say it? mm mm-hmm. it has a polymer, it's a polymer paddle. So oh, interesting. Eridondo polymer button i really liked it it's very aggressive pattern on it and it kind of like fling. it
0: flips out kind of man i've never been able to run an extended i mean like a like one of those like a paddle like i i'll depress yeah. it with my hands
1: yeah i won't i've never ever hit one with my That's hand cool.
0: do you have uh, to? and then do you have to flip the gun otherwise if you don't have the that paddle on
1: uh, i don't know probably I just I put the paddle on and I was like yes I like it so then it I just stayed. used it from then then on yeah and then my grips that I actually didn't find till like 2020 were sh- these shark skin grips uh, they're from Kensite Kensite shark skins. these are my favorite 1911 grips so that's that
0: yeah those are like super aggressive. Yeah, Super they techies. they'll
1: eat you up. They will eat you up, and I love them. Uh, also, I run the Dawson Ice Magwell with the polymer insert. I never changed this insert. I put it on twenty. I think they built a gun twenty seventeen. I started shooting it beginning of twenty eighteen, and I shot this gun through 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 twenty twenty. I think, and at the end of twenty twenty. I had to switch guns, I believe, because this one cracked.
0: Yeah, those polymer inserts will take a heck of a, of a, of a beating. Uh, I wore yeah. one out because um, I had them. I had them on that original forty-five of mine. I wore one yep. of them out, but but they take a lot, a lot to wear out. Yeah,
1: and and this gun doesn't really have a, it doesn't have much of an undercut. It has some. It has like some material taken off.
0: Yeah, I mean Uh, they they undercut it like that is undercut, but it's like it's undercut so the trigger guard goes flat all the way into the into the front strap rather than having a big radius there, which that's Mm -hmm. usually enough to like at least like you at least get your hand up there pretty high, Um, yeah. But yeah, a little bit more would be to my liking.
1: Mm -hmm. And then when I finished shooting this gun, I was running seventeen pound main and I believe a fourteen pound recoil. I can't remember if it was 12 or 14. I switched to 14 on the other one, I know that. But I ran 12s for a while and then I went to 14s cuz I thought that's what was breaking my sights, so. And these I mean, guns are in could 40
0: contribute to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Both these these next guns are in 40. This one's in 40 and the next one will be in 40. Um so yeah, that's that one. That is my firearm solution. Okay, so this next one was a gun I actually bought as my backup gun for that gun uh, before that gun broke or the slide cracked. Uh, So this next one is a Dan Wesson SSC, and it's an old stock. So they made the SSCs back in, I think, 2008, 2009. Uh, I think that was when it was. So this is a Dan Wesson SSC. You can see it's got, like, their fresh dealy kind of on there. It's kind of cool. It's got like olive branches or something around it. Uh Uh, And then on this side, it says SSC for single stack classic. That's what that stands for. Has the same extended Arredondo paddle on it. Same shark skins. There was no uh, checkering up here. This is grip tape that I just replaced every once in a while because I didn't want to pay to have it checkered. Uh, Again, arch mainspring, Dawson Ice. I tried to keep it as close to that gun as possible. So anything I could make like that gun, I did. Uh, I think this gun might even be lighter than that gun. Because it has a thinner dust cover, like it doesn't have as beefy as a, a dust yeah. cover as that gun. Uh, so this one also has a pinned grip safety. But this one's much more interesting because I did it, and I did it with a stick welder. Oh <laughs> so my god! I took my grip safety, uh, and I took it out to the shop, and I broke out my stick welder, <laughs> and I just. I put a, a dab of weld on it and then I filed it down and
0: sucker doesn't move. There there can not be very many uh, parts on guns, like just parts on guns period, definitely not grip safeties that have been pinned with a stick welder. Oh yeah, right, yeah. I and mean, you had like, it's actually somewhat impressive. You didn't just melt that whole thing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm semi- an impressive impressed. person. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed, uh, honestly, <laughs> like, like legitimately I am impressed.
1: I am not a welder, but I have done a fair bit of welding. So I was at least familiar with that piece of equipment. Um, so it has the same, uh, like K pattern trigger that I found on eBay. I liked it. So I put one in here. I'm pretty sure like that's a Vedecky. It's like a, it was like a 15 or $20 trigger. Uh, but I liked it, so that's what I put in there. This one also has adjustable sights, Dawson front. This one had a 60 mil fiber on it. When I got it, I put a 40 mil in it. I'm terrible at sights. It looks like a five-year-old did it. Um, and I'm going to leave the best part of this gun for last. Um, this also has eg. This has an EGW hammer in it. I may have replaced the sear and disconnector in this one. I don't really remember. But like Jeremy said, I mean, that stuff kind of needs attention from somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, Sometimes. But yeah, it, but it worked. So, is what it is. This, I really liked, uh, I actually had this bushing that was on this gun. It's a bushing that was in that Rock Island. Um, this is the EGW bevel bushing. It's a thick bevel bushing. Uh Uh-huh. I liked it. I thought it was awesome. I still do. So I pulled it out of that gun, and I put it on this gun, and it worked.
0: Uh, And it fit the slide and everything?
1: Yeah. Well, I I did have to play with it a little bit, but for the most part, it worked, and it's very tight. Yeah. I'll try to keep racking to a minimum for the listeners.
0: Oh, no. That's... the all the racking you can get, man. Like that's right.
1: Yeah. Um, and then another part that I replaced on this gun was the slide stop. This is a Wilson slide stop. And I was actually pretty impressed with this part. It was probably one of the nicer like parts that I bought that I got it and put it in. And I was like, damn that like the machining on that is pretty nice. That's a pretty nice part. Uh, as far as drop in parts go drop in in air quotes there uh it did it did work for me
0: yeah wilson i use a lot of wilson parts in my guns and a lot of a lot of egw i'm not like married to either of those but i do use quite a few of, of both of those companies
1: yeah um so that is pretty much the gist of that one i think All right, so now the most interesting part. I'm going to tattle on myself a little bit here. Uh, Jeremy's going to start laughing when I start talking about this. I
0: I think I actually know what this is.
1: Okay, so the thumb safeties on this gun are not functional. So that year that I shot nationals, 2020, and did really well, I shot with no functioning safeties. So you can strip me of my uterus trophies if you like. Um but yeah, so you engage the safety, you push the trigger, push it in, and then when you disengage, the hammer drops. It does usually, usually, not all the time. It catches on the hooks there. Uh but
0: the half cock notch.
1: Yeah. Uh so yeah, non functional grip safety. I haven't shot this since nationals, basically. So, um, that's one thing I need to put some new, new thumb safeties in it.
0: Okay. So that, that brings up a couple of things that, that Jeff mentioned earlier that, uh, we can kind of go in. one more thing.
1: Uh, both these guns, both my forties have the EGW. They have like that new round style ejector. It's like a hardened, some sort of hardened, uh, extractor. Sorry extractor mm-hmm. yeah um and i put it in that gun and it worked so i bought another one and i put it in this gun and it worked and i never had a problem from either one of them so that's what i ran and it was something that i could i could tune fairly easily and i liked i liked the product so yeah it's like that i don't know it's just like a different style it's like round instead of flat yeah you know uh, i don't that's, i don't know the
0: surprises me a lot because i I use a lot of EGW extractors but they require a lot of fitting. And so yeah. I'm I'm a little shocked that you just dropped it in and they worked.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I I maybe sanded on them a little bit uh and then tensioned them a little bit. Mhm. Uh, I definitely put tension in both of them, but Yeah. Uh for the most part, yeah, I just put them in and did nothing to the hook or anything like that. And and they worked in both my guns, so. Cool. That's it, Dan Wesson SSC. I got this on GunBroker. Yeah,
0: those Dan Wesson's actually like like if you're looking for a stock gun uh, that has quality components in it, that's not gonna like break the bank.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, it's not. They're not Glock prices. They're never gonna be Glock prices, but the Dan yeah. Wesson is a really really good option. Unfortunately, right. they made very, very few forties. Like, like Jeff's yeah. like he looked for a long time to find that one, and I, and I think even finding a backup to it has been hard. That's partly why I think he's shooting a Canic now.
1: Yeah, and like I said, this is this is an old stock SSC. This is from you know, two, I think it's two thousand eight, two thousand nine was the last time they made them, mm-hmm. and this is not the quality of gun that you will get from Dan Wesson today. Uh like, this had mem parts in it. Yeah. Uh, most of the parts in this gun were not nice, which is why almost all of them have been replaced. It's why it has the EGW parts. why it has the the uh, the Wilson Combat part. That's um, why it's got a different trigger in it. Everything changed because there was not good parts in this gun. Um, so I spent a lot of time um, doing some hacksmithing on it.
0: Yeah. And yep. the new stuff is all every, every part in our machine. There's no, no man parts or anything like that. Uh, they use, yeah. and they use good parts. Uh, so, so the Dan Wesson does make a, a good gun. Um, so back to your little trigger faux pop, boo thing that you got going, um, because you <laughs> kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier and this, we're going to go, this is going to kind of get into like the function, function part of guns. Um, so yeah on your on your trigger, there is all of them will have some sort of over travel adjustment uh and then a lot of them have pre travel tabs, and a lot of people will take their guns uh, a lot of people don't understand what they are, and they start messing with those things, and like they're making their guns like unsafe. And like they're making it such that their triggers are not going to last and they're going to have problems, some reliability issues. Uh, So when you, a lot of people will take their gun and they'll take the over travel screw. And what that is, is that the over travel screw stops how far the trigger goes back in your pull, so that you don't like pull it so far, like way, way, way far. Like once the triggers has hammers falling forward, you really don't want the trigger going back a whole lot further. Because uh, it's just that much more, you got to reset it. Um, so you, you kind of want right. it to stop. But. Oh, wait, hold on. Hold on. Just one second. Go ahead. I need, to cl- I need
1: to clarify something real quick. Okay. When I shot Nationals with that gun, I did not know that the safety was non-functioning <laughs> until, until L10 Nationals when we went and did chrono and the RO was like messing with it. And he didn't even catch it. Right. Yeah. He was like doing the safety checks and. And he's like, okay, but I was watching him, and I was like, what the heck? And so after I got it back, I went to the safe table when I was like, oh, damn, that's not functioning. Uh, so, yeah, I did, I did not know, okay, disclaimer, I did not know it wasn't functioning when I went to nationals. Okay, I'm done.
0: So, yeah. Okay. So the over-travel screw, like it stops how far the trigger goes back. And a lot of people will take it and they will basically screw that screw back so far that basically as so- if the as soon as the trigger and the hammer will fall, they push it all the way to that point. Um, that's problematic. The The hammer still has to clear the half cock notch. And so you have to have enough over-travel that whenever you pull the ha- the trigger back as far as you can, and you ease that trigger, the hammer forward that you don't feel it brushing that half cock notch at all. And that's, that's important one, because that can cause light strikes. Uh, it can cause damage to your sear nose and like you need to have like, like that. So that needs to be there so that all of that functions correctly. So if you want to set that over travel screw, make sure you're paying attention to that. The other place where people really mess up is their pre-travel tabs. They think, well, I'm just going to take out all the pre-travel, so that once if the trigger moves at all, well, then I can, then it's then it's breaking the I'm breaking the shot, and so I, I want as much as little pre-travel as I can get in that trigger. Uh, that gets problematic because if you take up so much pre-travel, then then it will have tension and it will. The ham the sear will not catch on that half cock notch. Like because it because because it the press the trigger's already putting pressure on the sear. And so you have that there has to be enough room in that sear movement and that trigger sear disconnector movement. I often have to add pre-travel to guns um to make sure that they're safe. Um because if it's not catching that half-cock and you have a situation like Jeff's, uh, because Jeff is it sounds like his doesn't always catch his half-cock notch. And he got, he's real lucky that when that, uh, when it got tested and the hammer fell, that it did catch the half cock. because otherwise that gun was going off and it would have kept going off probably. Um, and so that, like that can be a problem. Those pre-travel traps are there. And a lot of people like just take them and bend the snot out of them. I just had a customer that paid me to build him a gun and he made some post on some forum like, yeah, I got that. And I, I bent the pre-travel tabs a little bit. It's like, dude, <laughs> I fit those pre-travel tabs. Yes, they're there that you could bend them, but like, yes, there's pre-travel on that trigger, but the there was the appropriate amount of pre-travel in it. Um
1: dude, I I cannot fathom someone taking a gun that you built and doing something like that.
0: Like literally, like take it, like literally he took it out of the box and like did it. Like even before he went to the range, like just started started smithing on it. It's like, uh, like you paid me to build it, but you know, like, so if you don't know what you're doing with the over travel and pre-travel tabs, like just leave them there. Like, like you're not gaining anything like to take the pre-travel out of the trigger. You're not gaining anything. Like you're, you're not going to shoot better by doing that. So like, just. Just leave them alone. Um, yeah, like that's that's something that a lot of people don't understand, and I think they think they understand, but they don't yeah. understand the ramifications of what they're doing. Um, I
1: definitely don't understand.
0: So i I don't even remember honestly
1: how I set mine up. I think I just used them to take rattle out of the trigger. Uh, mm-hmm. But honestly, don't even remember.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes there, there is a whole lot of movement, uh, in the trigger with that, with there's a whole lot of movement. And sometimes you, you do bend them some, but usually it does not take a, I've opened some guns like that gum, you guys bent this a lot. Cause usually it does not take a whole lot of bending to get it. Smith used to, those tabs didn't used to be there and Smith's would go in and they would either cut tabs like with a Dremel cutoff tool, or they'd weld a little, put a little spot mm-hmm. weld on the very front of it. And, uh and build up that way to be able to do it. Um, you got any reliability, uh, tips for anybody? Yeah, I think
1: every reliability issue I've had with a 40, well, with a nine, I had probably magazines were like the biggest factor. We're just trying to find magazines that worked good in my gun. And to be fair, like, it's a rock island. It's not a super high quality gun. Like there were some angles that were most likely not cut correctly in that gun. So, you know, if all that had been done correctly, you probably wouldn't have to worry about mags, but I had to find mags that that held the gun right. And I think I even like tuned mags on that gun to try to get the bullet to sit up a little higher, Mm -hmm. point up a little bit more Mm -hmm. uh, on that gun. So that, that was the only thing. And then Probably the thing that I've messed with the most on all my 1911s is, uh, extractors, just extractor tension. Uh, that's probably the thing that I've messed with the most. If, if it won't feed, I'll loosen it, you know? Uh, yeah, just stuff like that. Or if it's, if I get a stovepipe, like the first thing I do is check extractor tension. Uh, yeah, extractors. That's, that's like my only thing. I'm not a Smith, but my guns always ran. And I pretty much always just messed with extractors.
0: Yeah. I mean, the extractor is basically in contact with it. I mean, once it's come up the breech face halfway, the extractor's touching that round and it's touching it until the round is gone. If the extractors has enough tension on it. Um, yeah. So yeah, the extractor has a lot. It has, it affects feeding, it affects extraction. Um, so it, it, it affects a lot. Um, that question is really tough for me like what what's the like most important thing about uh, making making a gun functional man like I do so many things to a gun like to to make it functional like a, like we don't have time mm-hmm. um or so you I, should
1: you should talk about like the like the problem with nineteen elevens in general like them being mass produced or produced from so many different manufacturers and the holes being cut in the right spot and all that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the 1911 is like, it it gets a bad rap as like, oh, they don't run, they don't work. Um, if a 1911 is built to spec, like the, like if you, like if you build it to spec, they will be as reliable as any gun ever made. Um, but when you have 30 or 40 different manufacturers, all making 1911s, and then you're also taking that 1911, you're trying to eke out every single ounce of possible of performance out of it, then yeah, things get, things get harder, right? Like it, they get harder to make run um, and they get more finicky. Um, I build my guns, like reliability's first, function is second, as far as like accuracy, anything like that. But I'm also like, I am trying to eke out everything I can and make the guns, run as long as possible. I think on one gun, I went over like 15,000 rounds without ever cleaning it. Um so I would say like like one thing that's important in a gun is a 1911 gun like I every time I shoot, I put I oil it. I oil it. There's there's some important places to oil it. One the the slag the slide, the slag. The slide drags a lot on the barrel hood right here. So put oil there because that's going to get oil on your hood. It's going to get on your breech face, going to get on your upper locking lugs. It'll eventually work its way down to your lower lugs. Uh, so that's a really important place to put it. Uh, lock the slide back. Put some on here where the bushing interacts because right at the end of the barrel, that's where the bushing is going to interact with the barrel. That's where it gets tight. I'll usually put a drop on the on the guide rod just so that like uh, there's not really a lot of friction there, but there's the spring friction. So I put some on there just keep everything working smooth. And then I lock it back and I, I add oil onto the slide rails, the slide and I let, let the the oil get onto the frame rails through the slide rails there. And then also from here, uh, you can go right down here. The disc, the head of the disconnector is sitting right down in there. I put a drop of oil on that, uh, toward every range session that gets oil down into your trigger parts, your hammer, your sear, your disconnector, all that get oil on it. Um, and if you oil it in those places, uh, you're in pretty good shape. My favorite gun oil, if anybody's asking one, just use oil. But my favorite oil right now is gunfighter. Uh, the guy is a, like he does kind of work on 1911s. Um, uh, but it's a hundred percent synthetic. I don't really, I'm sure you can go out and just use some sort of mobile one of some kind. And I'm sure it works just as well. Uh, like, like a, I just that's what I use. Um, so, like, if you have your favorite oil, that's fine. I do like that. That synthetic stuff doesn't seem to break down at all, and so I do like it. I don't like grease. Uh, I like I prefer oil. Um, grease holds dirt like it stays. It stay grease stays there, which is good, but that means it's gonna hold all the carbon, any sort of dirt. I live in a very windy, dusty, dirty place. Like oil slings off the gun, yes. It does, it, it, and I want it to, because when it's slinging off the gun, it's slinging off all the dirt and the crap that's getting in it too, uh, at yeah. least somewhat. And so I am I very much am a proponent of using oil, um, especially on a competition gun. Maybe maybe some some sort of heavier something on a carry gun that's going to sit in a holster and you don't want it to all run out the front of the gun. Maybe there's a, a room for that. I still use oil in that, that situation. but um, So oiling your yeah. gun is important.
1: Um, yeah. And I met Jeremy in 2019, I believe when we went to nationals together. Yeah. Yep. And that's when he showed me how to oil in 1911. Cause before that I, I didn't really know, like I just run it dry or oil it <laughs> when I cleaned it. Right. Yeah. It when I cleaned it, I think is what I did. Yeah. And he showed me that. And from that point forward, I basically did what, what he says is I just, I oiled it every time I got it out in those exact same spots. Uh, yeah. It worked great. Uh, and that's what a misconception about oil that you touched on. Oil is meant to move. Uh, that That's the purpose of oil in, in a car motor. And anywhere where you put oil, it's meant to move. It's meant to flow and carry debris. Um, so that's that's why you're oiling it every time, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's dirty in there. You're putting oil to get it to flow, to move debris and to lubricate. That's
0: secondary. But the purpose of oil is to move and carry so yeah and so like like if you're gonna go have a 200 round practice session like you'll be you'll be just fine uh if you start getting four or five hundred rounds you might you might need to stop halfway through and and add a little bit of oil uh you can kind of feel that sometimes if your gun's tight uh you might feel it get a little the slide get a little sluggish and so it's like yeah go add some oil and then it's not it's not sluggish anymore if if you're a rock island the tolerances are probably open enough that you may not ever feel that difference. Um,
1: Oh yeah, dude, that gun is so rattly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's and a it was spec. even,
1: it was even more rattly on it after, cause I didn't know much about guns back then and I still don't, but <laughs> I like took freaking file and sandpaper to like the whole thing, like frame rails. Everything. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so that is a loose bitch. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Um, so my build philosophy like if you haven't figured out like I want I am I want everything to be as robust and as durable as possible. That's why I run a single sided safety. Uh like when I have to shoot off hand like I have no problem like I flip the sum safety off with my right hand as I draw and I flip the hand and I've never had a problem like flipping it up um fixed sights uh yeah, I, I want everything to be as durable as possible. Uh, one thing I will talk about from a functionality standpoint that I th- I personally think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about that I don't think people understand. Um and I have come to a lot of different conclusions than what most people come to and probably even maybe some other smiths will disagree with me. And that's like I'm not going to argue with them. Like I'll just tell you what my opinion is and that's on the ejector. Um There's lots of people that talk about like tuning an ejector. Like they go in and like, yeah, I put a 15 degree angle on it. And now my gun just works just perfectly now. Um, That's nonsense. Uh, Like (laughs) all of my ejectors are square on the end. Uh, There is no angle. Like if you need to tune an ejector, the longer the ejector is, the more that it'll spit the round out to the side, the shorter it is, the more it'll spit it out straight up over the top. Um, and so, so like that, that's what you're dealing with. So a lot of people, their natural inclination is like, oh, well, I'll just have the ejector nose as long as possible. And then that way it gets the casing out of the, out of the slide as early as possible so that it's not interfering with anything. Um, that's, that seems to make sense. There's a problem with that. Uh, Especially if you're running like 38 super, super comp, uh, any sort of a 45 ACP, especially, um if your ejector is so long that you can't eject a live round, you're in a really good place to really put yourself in a load of hurt. Um, because that round will get stuck. Like you, you got a dud primer, you got a jam of some kind, and all of a sudden you've got an extended ejector in there and you can't, and it won't eject that loaded round. You're in trouble. Uh, like, like you're gonna, you're gonna have problems. And so, I probably run my ejector shorter than almost, than most people do. Uh, nine, they're a little bit longer because that is such a shorter case. And the magazine has that round push forward. Um, but uh, square nose, another thing, whenever you're talking about putting angles in an ejector, uh, you're often going to end up with a point on the front of it. And for me, for my guns, that's a big no-no. Uh, cause most of you probably have extractors that you might be running an aftech or something like that, that are, I'm not going to badmouth mouth but, uh, we were just at a match not long ago and we got to a guy that had to go to a backup gun. Cause somebody put an aftech in it. Well, the manufacturer put an aftech in it and they, <laughs> they're They took a part that's a single one piece part and they made it like a three or four piece part. And that's to me is always a, almost a bad idea, but, uh, anyway, you put a point on an ejector and a lot of times the people that like to do that are the same goobers who like to put their hands over the ejection port as they rack their, their rounds out of their guns, like their live rounds, they want to catch it. You're going to blow yeah. your hand up. Uh, you put a point on that ejector and if you're, if your extractor loses control of that round, that ejector can, and many people have set rounds off and many people have yeah. blown their hand around through their hands. Uh, and so if you think you have to have this special angle on an ejector to make the gun run or make it eject just like you want, um, I call nonsense. You don't need to do that. Don't put a point on your ejector. Uh, your ejector might be way longer than it needs to be. Uh, make sure that your ejector won't get broken whenever you over insert a magazine, like if your magazine is crashing into the bottom of that ejector, you're going to, yeah, there's a good chance. You're going to tie up your slide. If it's, if it's at all a tight fit with your slide, like you're going to bend the nose of that, or it's going to break. And then you got a piece of metal running around somewhere in your gun. Like, like Mm. those, like things like that are stuff that like people, I think they don't, I think they miss, miss the boat on that. And a lot of builders uh, miss the boat on that. So Mm. uh, that's, that's my thoughts on the ejector.
1: I have, oh. I have two interesting thoughts on the, the ejector actually, uh, on my other gun, hold on my firearm solution gun. Um, so it has bite marks on the beaver tail here. This actually isn't extractor related, but it's got bite marks in the beaver tail mm-hmm. where the hammers contacted it. Yeah. So I would get random hammer follow on this gun. And it would be because when it, when it brought it back, it would contact that beaver tail and wouldn't allow it to, to catch the, the sear back there, and then it would just fall back forward. Uh, it always caught the, the secondary hooks or half cock hooks, but uh, it would be an issue that I had. And that was another reason that we uh, pinned the safety, because it wouldn't, it wouldn't do it if it was pinned all the way back, right? It was when I got that high grip and didn't get the, the grip safety pinned then it would catch it and I would get hammer follow. So that was another reason we did uh, that on that gun. Um, Ejector-wise, uh, like like Jeremy said, people will blow their hands well, up. Well,
0: before we go to ejector, like, I I got to correct Jeff here. Like, uh, that it. was not causing your hammer follow. Like, because when the slide comes back, like, this, like oftentimes the hammer will bounce into the grip safety doesn't mean the grip okay. safety is not because once the slide goes back like the slide is pushing that the hammer down as far as it needs to to catch the sear okay like and if and if the if the grip safety was high enough up that the slide couldn't like that it couldn't do that it would bind the gun up
1: okay. does that make sense so, like, so why, why did so why did they get the hammer follow
0: because you're because the it was bouncing off the hooks
1: but it never got it once we pinned the safety.
0: Like, I don't... I mean, there's something weird there, but, like, but the hammer is being... The hammer is cocked enough. Like, you can do it... You can rack that slide slowly. Like, the hammer is cocked enough to catch the sear.
1: But not not when it was unpinned. Like, like if I held the thumb, the grip the, safety it would up... The,
0: the, the, that is static. Like, the, the slide's position is static. Like... Like, it's moving, wait, wait. but the level of it is static. It will always cock that hammer the same amount. Right. Whether the grip safety is up or down. Because if if the grip safety was up yeah. high enough to keep the hammer from going back far enough to catch the sear, it would bind the slide up. Does that make sense? I
1: wish, I wish I could unpin it to show you.
0: I, I or, c- okay. Now there, may, you may be have adding some sort of weird pressure. Like you may have been, at, it may have been adding more pressure on the the hammer, so that it would bounce up harder into the sear and bounce off of it. But it's not an issue yeah. of it not being cocked far enough. Because if the slide came back, it cocked far enough. The hammer was cocked far enough to catch the sear.
1: Right. I don't know. But it stopped doing it once we pinned the safety. So, what, whatever good. happened, it stopped. Uh, I stopped getting hammer follow when we pinned the safety. That's good. So, ejector wise uh, on this gun, you're saying like people blow their hands up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that generally happens when people do this they, they tilt the gun this way and they do this to try to catch it. Yep. So the round is falling towards the ejector, right? So they'll, they'll tilt the gun like this and try to catch it like that. Um, I'm not saying this is the the safest way to do this. Probably the safest way is just to jack it onto the ground. Um, but if you are going to do that, you can tilt it this way. And then your round is falling away from the ejector. So you reach over the gun, catch it that way. So it's, it's still not exactly safe, but if you are going to do it, I mean, that's the way I've always done it. So that's, that's why I'm saying
0: yeah, that you can no, do I mean, it. like that's, that's a good advice. Uh, I will say from a function standpoint, if you're, even if you're holding the gun that way and your extractor is losing control of the round, like it, like it's falling yeah. off of the extractor, you don't have enough extractor attention. Uh, and yeah. so like, yeah, yeah. like you're going to have problems otherwise anyway, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely like it, covering the ejection port as you, as you rack around, that's just a, yeah, A big goober move well, anyway. I, like,
1: like he was saying with the ejector, the reason people blow their hands up is because the round falls away from the extractor Correct. and the, the ejector hits the primer and Correct. it sets the round off. So yeah. if you t- tilt it this way, then it's falling away from the ejector if, it loses, if the extractor loses control of it and it's not going to get set off. by the ejector
0: yeah for our audio guys jeff is saying if you if you basically tilt it so that the ejection port side of the gun is to the ground yeah uh then then you're you'll be better off there and that's that's true still
1: probably not like recommended as for like from a safety standpoint but if you're somebody that does that yeah tilt tilt the ejection port towards the ground yeah
0: let the go let the round follow the ground, holster your gun, pick up the round, and clean the dirt off of it. No big deal,
1: yeah, or do a flipping catch, or do the flipping catch. it looks cool, but too.
0: but honestly, like the flipping catch
1: probably has a pretty high likelihood compared uh, people i mean to people like, have
0: yeah, people have set off rounds doing the flipping catch too, yeah. Or they, or they flip it and like they forgot to drop their mag out. And so then they reach forward to their gun to grab it. And then they actually pull the trigger again. And like, they shoot their hand that way. Like, yeah. Wow. People just get like stupid at the end of their stage and they don't pay attention. And they kind of forget that they have a gun in their hands. And that's that. I mean, people that happens, people do that. Um, there's a lot more that could be said as far as reliability, functionality. Um, yeah, but that like we don't have time, and like it's really tough to do that just over over a podcast. And we've gone this is pretty pretty long, as Jeff said.
1: Yeah, I knew it would be.
0: Yeah, we could but talk more,
1: but it's a fun it's a fun topic. I mean, you're really into 1911s, obviously. I shot 1911s for the majority of of my shooting up up until this point, um, so it's something that. I enjoy talking about, and it's also very interesting that we have super different approaches because you're a gunsmith and I'm not, and I don't even want to pay people to work on my guns, so uh-huh. everything's very hacksmith together, and and uh, sometimes I don't even know what I'm talking about, but but my guns generally always
0: ran, so there's yeah. that, yeah. So if you guys have any more questions about, uh, like nights like if you wanna answer more stuff uh you can message me directly or you can send us uh on the discord or the discord's really the best place if you're not on there you should be on the discord It's been kind of hopping this week we've added we've added a bunch of people i think it's like doubled in the last ten days
1: yeah so that that's because of the the reload speed reload competition that's been getting some some uh some chatter over the the internets. Which yep. by the time this drops, we'll have about three days of that competition left, I believe. Yep. Uh, yeah, so that competition will end on the 30th. So if you want to jump in and get a quick entry in, go to Discord. There's a channel in the Discord called Speedload Contest. You go, You go. Uh, if you looked at the pin messages on that channel, there's a list of rules there. What the real needs to... How you submit an entry, what it needs to look like. And the rules and procedures for judging that will occur. Um, Travis Tomasi has has offered to judge the competition for us. So once we get all the entries, we'll be having Travis on the podcast to talk about the entries and talk about who he decided is the winner and probably second, first and second runner-up. Um, so yeah, go check out the Discord to get a, get a piece of that and the I will say link, like link to that will be in the description so
0: yeah and before you submit your entry the entry has to be submitted on discord in that channel so you have to mm-hmm. be on discord and you have to submit it in that channel but before you submit your entry read the rules like read the rules yeah just read through the rules like it's they're fairly simple they're fairly straightforward um but there are some rules that just to make which are mostly the rules are to make Travis's life easier and simpler. Uh, and for yeah, him to, to make uh, collecting the entries
1: simple, like we don't want yeah. multiple videos for, for one person because yeah, it just makes it difficult to, to go through and try to figure out which one you were trying to submit though. As people are submitting them, I'm actually downloading them. So yeah, but yeah, I took the time to write rules and procedures. So go read them.
0: Yeah. I have uh I have something special in plan for that, so it's gonna be I'm gonna have a good video coming up. It's gonna be good. Oh
1: really? Yeah,
0: it's gonna be. Oh awesome. because the the rule says is like the most impressive reload wins. So like That's like people right. need to get like some people are like their posts. I mean the video has to be like five seconds or shorter. You can't post it on Discord, but like mm-hmm. people, I think people need to get a little more inventive in their in there, and it can only like. Like the rules are very specific. Like it's like you start aiming at a spot, you do a dry fire reload, and you finish aiming on a spot, and that's that's mm-hmm. it. But I yep. think there's I think there's some room in there for some some inventive oh, stuff. So subject to your interpretation. Oh, there's so much. There's so much that can be done. Uh so Wow. Like just whatever you think will impress Travis, Tomasi, get on it. Like do that. Mm. Are you gonna dress like Travis? Mm, I don't think I can pull off Travis dress. Like Travis is. Are you like gonna a,
1: shave your head? No.
0: I am. I'm no. gonna shave my head. But it, I think it. I, I'm. It might. I'm. We'll see. I gotta find. I know. I'm not gonna give it up. I don't wanna. I don't wanna say what okay. I'm gonna do. Are you gonna have a bulldog in the background? No. I, I wished I did. If I could, maybe I can get Canova. I can get my German Shepherd to sit still long enough. Are you gonna uh, the, do a
1: dry fire reload in the back of a Ford Lightning while I was driving down the road?
0: That would be like, dude. If I had a Ford, <laughs> if I had a friend with a Ford Lightning or something, I would be doing my reloads in the back of a Ford Lightning. Hundred uh, percent. Like, I hundred percent would be doing that. Unfortunately, I don't know anybody with a Ford Lightning, so yeah, but it has to be an old school Ford Lightning. It can't be one of these new ones. Uh, right. Yeah. It Has yeah, to be an old school one.
1: I don't know what year those were like early 2000s or something or late 90s. Around was whenever that,
0: Fast and Furious was out, right? Like that was. That well, was there's the time. a couple
1: different models of four lightnings. There's, you know, there's like the old square body style. Yeah, there's all the and square then body like the, ones. And then there's there's the, like the early 2000s.
0: And then there's the current ones. There's like three, right? There's only like three body styles, really.
1: Yeah. Are you on the new, current, you're talking like the electric one that they came out with?
0: Is that the only one? I thought they had a new, like one of the newer body styles in a Lightning. Have they not done it?
1: I don't think so. I think oh. it's just uh, like so. There's only I, two I body styles. I, I'm not an, a Ford Lightning fanatic or anything, but I know yeah. there's a square body, and yeah. then there's like an early 2000s one, which I yeah. believe is the one that uh, Travis has. Yeah, it's or his second had. one. I don't know if he still has it.
0: No, it's his second one. He had oh, one, really? and he's and he he loved it so much that he bought an he bought another one. I'm I'm almost positive uh, nice. that I talked to him about that. Um yeah, so he's a fan of those Bulldogs and Ford Lightnings. Right. If that gives anybody any any ideas, like he likes that stuff.
1: There's some fresh ideas right there. Yep. Okay, well we had a couple more 1911 questions. But we're pushing like an hour and 40 minutes.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll hit those another time.
1: So we got the reliability one. We'll just, uh, we'll save the other ones for other podcasts. So, yeah, that's Sounds it. Good. Go hit up shooters uh, connection,
0: use our link and, uh, that'll help us out. That'll help us them out. You'll get some cool stuff. It'll ship fast and that'll be great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like, most comment, of the parts subscribe. that I uh, I talked about on on my guns would be parts that would be available from someplace like Shooters Connection. Um, like Jeremy talked about, the Techwell grips, they got all that stuff. They got lots of nineteen eleven parts, um, sights, and they got holsters and everything for for nineteen eleven. So they they were a good good sponsor for this uh, this episode for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, that was a fun one. I would do that again if we could find more 1911 stuff to talk about.
0: Oh, we can always talk about stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, but hit social media pages, like Jeremy said. Uh, disc All the links will be in the description. And uh, Discord, hit up the, the competition that we got going on over there. I've got it pulled up here, checking her out. Got a nice community going on over there. And hopefully, next time y'all tune in, the Squatch will be back
0: with us. We shall see. We will. Y'all have a good night. Peace. Oh, stop recording, damn it.